the psalmist said, I will sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, have gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly shown in the sight of the heathen. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Where there's true gospel, there's rejoicing. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful that for this tremendous joy, this, this fruit of the Spirit that he brings us, and when we think when Jesus went through Gethsemane, it says for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You see, Romans 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost power is shed abroad in the believer's heart is the, is the assurance that no matter what you go through in life, you can rejoice and praise your way right through it. Because when you start praising God and worshipping God, God comes down amongst us. The Lord of hosts begins to come. <laughs> the angels begin to minister to the heirs of salvation. And you feel a divine impetus that, that in, it, it in fills you and empowers you. And where you couldn't do something, suddenly you're empowered. Because you've moved from the realm of here into the realm of the Spirit. He says, as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. We're supposed to be arising each morning, you see. And what really we want to emphasize on, as we've heard about the water, the wells, the rain, the rivers, the Word of God is full of all this kind of thing. And what we, we as God's people have got to realize is that when the psalmist David, God called him from the shepherd, you know, in the fields looking after those lambs that from Bethlehem would go to Jerusalem for the daily sacrifice morning and night. And when they came to offer the sacrifice, they bring this offering. Well, Jesus is the lamb and we praise him and we honor him. And then he begins to inhabit our praises. And so we get an assurance as the Holy Ghost begins to be moving in our hearts. And that encourages us and strengthens us and enables us to live the life of faith. It's not by might. I always remember I went to the glory meeting the first time and I felt this tremendous impact of power. I went home and my brain said, what is this all about? You know, because I had a religious background, you know, I sung in madrigals and, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, and my brain was completely addled, you know. I thought, what is all this? Is this right? All this rejoicing? All this feasting? Is it possible you can enjoy God? <laughs> you know, is it possible you can dance in the house of God? Because Laurie James would remember, he was there with me. We saw people dancing in the spirit. I haven't seen it since. People literally dancing in the spirit. I was looking at this. I thought, my goodness. I, and I got quickened, you see. You see, when you get quickened, something happens to you. Like you were saying, Paul was saying, you get born again. You, you, you suddenly were sitting in religion and then suddenly you were quickened. So I opened my Bible 
And I, guess where I opened it? It's Zachariah 4. <laughs> I'd never read Zachariah 4. <laughs> and it said in there, it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, said the Lord. And it talks about, and shoutings, and cryings. Oh, I thought shoutings and cryings is in the word of God. And it says, grace. Grace to it grace to it and you spin this mountain shall become a plain see Jesus took that up didn't he when he, when he spoke and he, he taught the people thou shalt say unto this mountain be thou removed and cast into the sea that's what Jesus was quoting the scripture Zechariah 4 you see you might have a mountain here this morning it could be anything, couldn't it? But you see, if you can understand that you've been born of God, of an incorruptible seed, that seed is in you, and that seed is actually supernatural. We were in Adam. We were a, a living soul. But when you get regenerated, it says, Paul says, you become a quickening spirit. Your spirit being, suddenly that spirit that in the fall had fallen beneath the body. And so man in his natural state is body ruled. You know, your flesh has to be, give me some of this. You know, and it kills you. Give me some whiskey, it kills you. Give me some cigarettes, it kills you. Give me some of this sex and it kills you. <laughs> yeah, your flesh. But once you get born again, you, were the, you become the right way up. And your spirit man now is in God. And when I opened the word of God, everything began to oh, jump out at me. The whole thing became alive before it was just a history book. But now suddenly, it's got life. It's got power. It's got something in it that can change my life and change your life. And so if you can grasp this, you can take this word, this word, and you can put it in your mouth. And Jesus says, what Paul says in Romans 1, if you believe with your heart and you speak with your mouth, you will be saved. And so if you want to be saved, you have been saved, you are being saved and you're going to be saved but you're going to have to keep believing and speaking what God says. But if you don't know what God says, you won't be able to say it. And so we know, and some of us here know how important this word is. Now some people don't. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, what, is written up, that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, if you're in a relationship with God, and Jesus is your great high priest, and the Holy Ghost is with you, and you're in fellowship with God, he's going to speak to you. That word that comes to you is going to come to you, and you're going to be able to believe it and speak it. And you be, Jesus says, you can speak to that mountain. 
and it will be removed. I don't know. I've experienced a lot of this. I'm, I'm a learning. I'm a disciple of Christ. And I'm learning the principles, what, Paul, what Jesus says in Matthew 13, what he calls the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To the natural mind, this is a mystery. Because as Paul said last night, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. When you pick this book up, you're dealing with eternal issues of the kingdom of God that is greater than this. You want to understand that Jesus has brought in a new dispensation. It's a new creation. It's a kingdom. Jesus came, it says 40 odd times in Matthew, Jesus says, repent. For what? The kingdom of God is at hand. We are subjects of a new kingdom that's going to last forever. Jesus is the ultimate king. He is the king of kings. He sits at the moment at the right hand of Almighty God, reigning until all his enemies become his footstool. And what you and I have got to do is get in on the kingdom, start serving the king in the kingdom, and you might suffer, yeah, but if you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. You will reign with him in life. You will speak to your mountains and they will go. Why? Because you've got the greater one in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So who is the most important thing in your life? You see there's a lot of Christians walking around and they've got what I call dual worship. I'll give God 60% of my time. And at that 40 cents at a time, I like to look after my flesh. And then you wonder why you're not as spiritual as you should be. One minute you feel okay, and the next minute you think, well, I don't know anymore. I don't know whether I feel I can do this, you know. What, what happened to Gideon? There was Gideon. Israel was persecuting, kept down by the Midianites. And God comes to you, you mighty man of Allah. <laughs> the word of God is coming to you and saying, you mighty man of Allah. Do you know what you've got inside of you? <laughs> you've got Christ inside of you. You've got the word of God inside of you. Can you stand up and actually believe that Jesus actually has all power in heaven and in earth? Do you really believe that what he did in his life, in Gethsemane, at the trial, at the crucifixion, at the burial, at the resurrection, at the ascension, at his glorification, do you really believe he's glorified? Do you really believe he said, I send the Holy Spirit? If you've got the Holy Spirit... You need the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. Because, why? Because it's not by might nor by power. The church is, is camped at Passover. A lot of the church is camped at the Feast of Passover. They believe in the cross and being saved and forgiveness of sins. But do they believe in Pentecost? 
A lot of the churches we got in this land are what we call cessationists. They think that Pentecost finished when the last apostle died. Well, I've got good news for you because I've received the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether you've received the Holy Spirit. And something happened to me that I cannot forget. I got invaded from heaven. Bang! I don't remember much. I was on the floor for about two hours, they told me. And I was gone up to heaven somewhere. <laughs> you know, I don't believe in telling people to speak in tongues. It comes down and it, it gets in you. You can't manufacture this. It comes down. It comes down. And when I got up, I felt like I'd been plugged into a lot of voltage. <laughs> I was shaking. <laughs> I couldn't drink the cup of tea that they were offering me. I was shaking. <laughs> the power of God. Oh yeah, there's the power of God available. But can we tap into it? Can we get hold of it? Are we going to walk by faith or walk by sight? Well, do you know, I've come to see that there's important things that we have to grasp. Because if we can grasp how great this salvation is, and how wonderful the work that Jesus has done for us, then maybe we'll have to keep looking into it. What did James say? We keep looking into this perfect law of liberty. We keep looking into this spiritual law. Why? What does Paul say? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Satan's work is illegal. But God's work is legal. It's just. It's righteous. It's upright. It's holy. And God wants us out of that kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light and to walk by faith, to just live by faith. But how do you do this? Well, this is what the Word of God teaches you, how to do this. The Word of God is something that teaches you. Now, if you can't learn it yourself, and some of us can't, I, I've had to go back to Bible teachers who passed away in generations past. People in the 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, a lot of them. I don't know how this happened. 45, I was 45 before anything be really began to make sense. I was walking around a good Pentecostal, I thought. I believed in forgiveness of sins. I believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believed in all the gifts and all this. But I hadn't got a clue about justification by faith. Not a clue about sanctification. And what in the world is glorification? And I remember my father-in-law died and left a lot of books. And one of these books was by a man in the 17th century, written in very difficult English. But you know when God is trying to get through to you, he gives you something that will change your mind. So you don't think like a natural man, you begin to think like the Word of God says. And he began to show me, as I read this book, what I began to understand. See, Adam was given a covenant. It's called by these old preachers, 
the covenant of works. This was a covenant that he had to work. You won't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will take dominion over all this I've given you. In other words, and Adam was covered with the glory. So when creation looked at Adam, they thought they were looking at God. He had such power. He had such dominion. He had such stature. He had a magnificent brain that could name all the animals and the plants and remember it. He was like a walking encyclopedia. He was like one of these computers with a huge hard drive on it. He was magnificent. But God said, there's one thing you can't eat at the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Now we don't know how long Adam lived, but he was told you can't eat that tree. It's the same for us. You can't eat the tree of knowledge and good and evil because it's got evil with good. And you've got enough sense to know that if you've got something pure and you put a bit of impurity into it, the whole thing's impure. You can't mix it. It'll kill you. Well, it killed Adam. He lost the glory. He lost his dominion. He lost his authority. He, without realizing it, he'd given it to Satan. That's why we got such a lot of trouble in the church and out of the church because we got people who were deceived by Satan. Because they're Christians who do the same stupid thing and they think, I'll, I'll, have, I'll get a bit of a knowledge from the world. No, you get it from the word. You get it from the word. Thy word is truth. It's not contaminated, the word of God. It's like gold and silver, purified seven times in the fire. So when you get it and you can understand it, it's so simple, you just read it, ask the Holy Spirit and just walk in it. The secret is to get the word, but then learn to walk in it. Well, how do you learn to walk in it? So what you say with your mouth is where you put your foot, where you walk. Because you hear a lot of people say, that stupid man has gone and put his foot in it. He said the wrong thing. And you can say the wrong thing with God. Do you know that? The children of Israel said the wrong thing to God. And God said, okay, you stupid bunch, you can die in this wilderness. Do you know you've got Christians who live in the wilderness? They've got a wilderness mentality. As soon as any trouble comes up, oh no, not again, and they groan and they moan, and all this business, and why has this happened to me, and all this, and whatever. You can't do that. You've got to keep praising God. You've got to keep praising God. You've got to keep thanking God. Is God your Father? Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, for even your Father, with whom there's no variance or even shadow of turning. Every good thing will come from your Father. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, and it'll be opened. But do we go to our Father? Do we understand we've got peace and access and glory? Rejoice in the hope of the glory. Do we get it? 
Or do we just allow the circumstances to depress us so we go down and down and down? No, we can arise on the wings of prayer and praise. Isn't it wonderful? I tell you what, Adam, but there's a second Adam to the fight come. And he fulfilled all the works. What did Jesus say when he was a boy to his parents? I must be about my father's business. Well, where there's business, there's work. You're in a business, aren't you, nursing? You know what work is. What did James says? Show me your faith by your works. But there's such a thing as dead works. And Paul says in Hebrews, repent from dead works. What is that? What we said yesterday morning, 2 Timothy 3. 3. A form of godliness, but no power. I don't want no power. I want, I want to have the real thing, don't you? Do you know a lot of people wonder why they ask God for something and they don't get it? Sometimes God doesn't want you to have something. I understand that. Because if you got it, it might ruin you or cause you a lot of trouble. But you know, Habakkuk says, when prophesying of justification by faith, he says, the heart that is lifted up, the heart that is lifted up, but, he says, the just live by faith. Can I find Habakkuk? I have, I have a great difficulty in finding Habakkuk. I wait, wait, I've got it now, hang on. Here it is, one, two, six, four. And this really In verse 4 it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. See, Henry used to make a statement early in every meeting and he used to say this. He said, this gospel is a heart job. And it's right. Because... When God looks through the whole earth, and you know, Wheelsworth used to keep quoting this scripture in Chronicles, look towards whose heart is perfect towards him. God, see, doesn't look on the outward appearance, what you look like. As we know from Samuel, when he went to visit the sons of Jesse, he looks on the outward appearance. And the inward appearance, doesn't he? So God looks on your heart. This is why Solomon says in Proverbs 4, you have to keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because it's with the heart man believes. So if the heart is lifted up and not upright, that person can't believe God. This is why Paul says in, I think it's Romans 13, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. 
And, and as, as, as Solomon says, you have to keep your heart. In other words, the enemy can contaminate your heart if you let him. You have to keep it with all diligence. And the way you keep it is, he says, you meditate in this word. What, is it, what does it say? Proverbs 4.20. I'm not speaking anything. I planned it. I don't know what I'm, where I'm going with all this. I, I, I don't know what's happening. There we are. Proverbs 4.20. And this is important. I, I've learned that one of my, one of the problems I've had to deal with is, is myself and my heart. My son, attend to my words. You attend to this word. This is what you've got to do. You've got to attend to it. Incline your ear to it. Let it not depart from thine eyes. Keep it in the midst of thine heart. Why? Because they are life unto those that find them. And what? Health. Healing. To all your body, your flesh. Think about that promise now. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Put away from you a froward mouth. That's an ungodly mouth. That's a moaning, tempting God heart, mouth. A perverse lips from you looks like eyes straight forward. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the left, nor remove it. Now this is the greatest challenge you and I are going to have to face. As you go back, you're going to have to face difficulties, tests, trials, temptations, difficulties. And I tell you what, you're going to have to do this. Because if you can do this, you're going to be very successful spiritually. And you're going to grow. You're going to grow. Because every trial you face, the more tests you get and the more trials you get and the more temptations you overcome, the greater will be the capacity for the strength of you to overcome something else. And so you say, I can overcome this. I can believe in my heart. I can speak out of my mouth to that mountain that's coming against me. And I can, and it can be reduced to a plane. Do you believe you can do this? You can do it. Why? Because the greater one's in you. Is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Who is Jesus? Another word for Jesus, he is the word of God, made flesh. He wants that word to be made flesh in you so that you walk by faith like he walked by faith. See, there are two things I just want to mention which I couldn't get through to yesterday about Gethsemane. That there's very important, these two things. I don't know whether I can just get this. You see, as we said yesterday, Jesus is now passed from complete control of his life to his positive obedience to do the work of God in bringing out our redemption. He's now out of control. He's under, under now as the passive servant of his father. Now, he's a passive in Gethsemane. 
And there's something here you have to learn. If Jesus could get through this, if Jesus could survive this trauma, if Jesus could defeat the work of the tremendous trial of his earthly life in Gethsemane, and he's triumphed, and Christ is in you, and he sent the Holy Spirit, there is no trauma, there is no difficulty that you cannot come through because he's come through it for you. He's come through it for you. And when you feel you can't get through it, like Jesus felt he couldn't get through it, and he said, Lord, is it Paul possible for this cup to depart from me, this cup of wrath, this cup of destruction, that he was taking the wrath of God against man's sin. He was made to be sin. So because God is holy, he can't look at sin. So when sin was put upon him, God turned his back on him. And his cry of deliction came and he said, Oh my God, why art thou forsaken me? He was forsaken. Tremendous work that Jesus did. Tremendous work. But you understand he did it for you and for me. In our redemption. So no matter what you go through, you can come through it when you keep your faith in Christ. Because if Christ is in you, you will overcome it. But this is the point, the other point that is very important here, is that Jesus, in his humanity, is saying, is it at all possible for this cup to pass from me? It's not unreasonable for you and I, when we're really going through it, to cry out to God, well, like the psalmist David did many times when Saul was hunting him from place to place. I mean, he was in desperate trouble at times. In fact, if God hadn't intervened, Saul would have killed him easily. But as we know, he was destined to be king, and Saul was destined to be removed. I know we know that, but Saul was very careful to keep his heart with all diligence. Why do we call David a man after God's own heart? Why? Because if you were under that kind of pressure from a man like Saul, and he had three times when he could have killed Saul, and Job said, let me slay him, and I'll hit him once, and he won't be hit again, it'll be the end of Saul. And David said, oh, don't you touch God's anointed. He, Jesus, uh, David kept his own heart. See, these men have learned. We learn from David. We learn from his Psalms. We learn from these men like Abraham who made mistakes but God brought him through. We learn from these people because they, are, they have traveled this pathway of faith. And they're saying to you, if you do what God says and I overcame, you can overcome. And it's not easy. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know, I've been through some trials and we're still going through some stuff. And you know, the trouble is, you see, when you face a mountain, you think, am I really going to pray and believe that this mountain is going to go? See, doubt. Doubt will come into your mind. Should I really believe that and say that in the face of that? But that's what the word says. See, we heard on the, on the first night about the wells with Matthew and Tony. As I said to Tony, digging a well is a jolly lot of hard work. <sighs> I 
this jolly hard work. Well, I suppose in my test at the moment, I'm going to, I've, I've heard that word, don't you worry, Matthew, I heard that word, I, I heard it on, mon, on Wednesday night. They always said to me, you're going to have to dig that well. My flesh didn't want to dig nothing. <laughs> nothing. Sit in a lounger on the garden and enjoy the sun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit says, when are you going to start digging? <laughs> Me. Are you going to start digging when you get home? Because if you can get the well unblocked, something's going to happen. <laughs> the water's going to start gushing. <laughs> the river's going to start flowing. Something's going to change. God is the God, not, you know, when Moses said, well, where are you going to get all this meat to feed all these people? And he said, is anything too hard for God? <laughs> In the desert, when all this beef arriving, you know, and all this quail arriving, where does it all come from? Well, God just blew it in, you know. <laughs> you know, faith is something that is not understood with the natural mind. It's understood by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. Yeah, well, Jesus is complaining. Hey, Lord, is it at all possible? Do you really think I've got to drink this cup to do this, to bring man's redemption? Do you mean I've got to go this far? And God is saying to you, yes, you will have to keep digging. Not easy, is it? Not easy. But the tremendous thing about this that I begin to learn is that Jesus not only died the death I should have died, but he actually lived the life he wants me to live. Can you get this? He also lived the life that he wants me to live, which is the life that pleases God. You see, this is what an old writer read. If I can just get this out. Um, if I wanted to be sure that my father not only pardoned me and forgiven me my sins and loved me deeply and fully, I would rightly feel it was up to me to live a moral, heroic life. My sins would have been forgiven, but God's positive regard to me otherwise would be completely dependent on how well I was living. I don't know if I can get this point across. But Jesus did not just die the death we should have died. He lived the life that we should have lived. If you can get this. This is what Robert Murray McChain says. He is not, Jesus is not just a dying saviour, but he is a doing saviour. See, he's not just a dying saviour, but he is a doing saviour. When we believe in him, we do not just get the benefits of his death. It is not just our sins are forgiven, but we get the benefits of his obedience. 
That's a wonderful point you can get this. We get the benefits of his obedience. It's a complete salvation. It's, the picture is, you could have your sins forgiven, you could have a son that misbehaved, couldn't you? And misbehaved badly. And you could say to him, I forgive you, but you could say afterwards, I forgive him, but I don't want to know him. The little stinker. How could he possibly have done that to me? See, it's one thing to have your sins forgiven, but it's quite another thing to be justified and to be accepted and to be loved and to be, like you said, adopted. And when you're properly adopted, legally, you get all the benefits of that household, don't you? You're legally adopted. So I'm coming to see that this complete picture, as the old preacher said, is about the whole life of Jesus, how he lived, and how he did. And we get the benefits of how he lived. Why? Because the just live by faith. That we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the whole point, I believe, of, of Gethsemane that I'm coming to see. We are, we are seen as obeying by hungering and thirst and after righteousness. So, when we get born again, we get imputed righteousness. It's put to our account. God looks on us. We might not be particularly righteous at that moment. We're just a sinner saved by grace. But we've been given, it's been put to our account. It's imputed. But when we understand that he's lived that life for us and we follow him, be a follower of Jesus, become a disciple of Jesus, and then he's, te- he's training us, he's, he's testing us, and he's saying to us, and, and this is what the old saints, what Boston said, that book that changed my life. He said, there are four states to man. There's the state of the innocence, that's before the fall, Adam was righteous before God, but it, was, it wasn't tested righteousness. He was righteous. And when he was tested, he failed. The second state is what he calls the state which we call grace, the state of grace. He, they called it the state of recovery. You are being recovered to be the person that God wants you to be in Christ's image. Paul said, I pray for you that Christ might be formed in you. See? See, we we haven't arrived, but we're in a process of being changed from one degree of glory to another. And God wants to impact your life so that you develop to be like Jesus. You know, people sing, and, and that is called, which is not preached today by the old, imparted righteousness. So what happens to you The righteousness that you had at new birth is now, as you walk with God in the Spirit, righteousness is being imparted to you. And so you get stronger and stronger. This is it, the psalm. What does Psalm 42, David says, My soul panteth after you, my soul thirsteth for the living God. See, if if a baby is born... It's got a thirst, doesn't it? It wants drink. It wants to be eat. And it needs to be fed. And so here, the word of God can feed you 
The inner man needs spiritual food. You can't live on history of the word. You can't live on intellectual knowledge from the word. You need spiritual knowledge. It comes by the Holy Spirit. And you know, as I was, you were talking about water and all this business about water and how important it is. As we said, this whole question, uh, Paul's, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And it, it's important this is. I can't emphasize this too much. How important it is to go to your Bible each day and just read an epistle. Just read the whole epistle. And try and read an epistle every day. Just read it. You might understand it all. doesn't matter. Just read it. And, you, and, and then one day as you read this, read this chapter, or you read something there, the Holy Spirit say, Oh, look at that. Look at that. And you look at it. And you'll get revelation. And you'll go from one place to another, to another, to another. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit will begin to open your mind to see Christ in there. See, this is how Paul puts it in, the, in Ephesians 5. He says, he's talking about husbands loving your wives here. Um, even as Christ also loved the church again, that he might what? Sanctify it and cleanse it with what? The washing of the water of the word. So whether you realize it or not, as you're reading this word, you're being washed. You are. So turn Coronation Street off and read an epistle. Yeah. Just soak yourself in the word. Just keep washing in it. And eventually, when most of the dirt's got off, you might be able to see something. Maybe your eyes will open. <laughs> and you think, gosh, is that in there? Is that really true? Yes, it's really true. It's really true. But there's another scripture that might help you that's helped me enormously. I hope it'll help you, and it's Hebrews 10. He's saying to us, having, therefore, in verse 19, brethren, boldness. This is another problem. See, I believe that if you can understand that Jesus lived the life for you so you can live it, it'll deal with condemnation in your life. Because if you've got condemnation, you won't have boldness. But you can deal with that if you just keep looking into this perfect law of liberty, as James says. If you therefore have boldness to enter what? The holiest. You're going to have to understand that justification has given you access. Where to? The holiest. 
This is tremendous. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. The veil came down. We've got access. And you better make use of it. I've got to make use of it. You better stop looking at yourself, navel-gazing, and saying, what's wrong with me and all this, and oh, I feel like this. Look, it's not about your feelings at all. It's about Jesus. And Jesus can change your feelings. So that you think like Jesus thinks. Well, you're never going to think like Jesus thinks if you don't read his word. Because the, the word of God says in Romans 12, it will renew your mind. It'll change your mind about things. You know, when somebody really upsets you and you feel like throwing bricks through their window, <laughs> going around there, that blew me out, I'm going to get a brick out, I'm going to throw it through his window. No, no, no. The Lord said to me, you've died and dead men don't throw bricks. Have you forgotten that you were crucified and you died it? <laughs> and you've been buried? Amen. And you've been raised a new person? Amen. As I've said before, Abraham Kuyper, quite a well-known Bible teacher, says, as long as you live, he said, you're going to be carrying around this old dead man. I thought, that can't be right, because he got crucified and he's died it and he's been buried. Where did he get that from? See, there's some religious people get very confused about this. Very confused. No, you don't carry the old stinker around with you. He's been dead and buried. And you realize that you're in Christ. Look what, see, that's why it says, keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. If you can keep looking at Jesus and see what he went through and where he is now, and Ephesians says, if you're in Christ, you're seated not down here, but up there with him, aren't you? What is your position? And if you're sitting up there with him, well, you, 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 your old man is definitely gone because there's no old men up in glory. There's no old stinkers up there. They're all new creatures in the glory, okay? <laughs> there's not, no admittance up there to people like that. We might be down here in the horrible here and now, but actually we can live in the spirit up there with Jesus. We can, if we will. But will we do it? I'm having a problem. I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm saying, look here, boy, you can do this. You can do it as well. Why? Because we've got Christ, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got a Heavenly Father. Well, what, this is what it says. In, oh, the, the fan's blowing my page up. It says, entering by the blood of Jesus, by what? A new and living way, which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh. It's come down, it's gone through the veil. And having a high priest, Jesus is not only a saviour, he's your high priest. Come on, get this. This is the church you belong to. A high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with what? And here's the heart again. A true heart. You've got to have a true heart. You have to keep your heart with all diligence. Remember this scripture, Proverbs 4, 20 to 24. Remind, if you get a bit funny in yourself, start reading Proverbs 4. Start reading Hebrews 10 and begin to get your mind renewed and understand that you, what, what you've been given access to 
And you draw near with full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. In other words, your heart can have an evil thought. But the blood of Jesus, the sprinkling is the blood, can cleanse you from all evil. You say, I'm not going to forgive that person. No, I'm not going to forgive them what they've done to me. I'm going to keep them in this cage to remember what they've done to me. And every week I'm going to bring them out and give them put them back in the cage. No, you can't do that. You've got to forgive them. The other night I dreamt I was in the office I was in with this horrible bloke. This must be, this must be 30 years ago. I had a dream. In the dream, I was thinking I could do something with this man. I woke up and the Lord said to me, you've forgiven him, haven't you? Yes, Lord, I said, I've forgiven him. <sighs> no wonder Paul said, I die daily. You have. You've got to die daily. Always a bearing about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus, Paul said. Well, you know, do I want to suffer? Well, if you're going to suffer with Christ, you will reign with him. And then it says, from an evil coin, and what? Our bodies, what? Washed. Oh, here's the water again. Washed with pure water. The word of God. It washes your body. <laughs> so you don't become a little stinker. You better keep washed. You better keep cleansed. And then it says, let us hold fast our profession. Well, that is believing and speaking with your mouth. You've got to hold fast to it. I say, Lord, and I'm asking the Lord to help me because I've been now facing a bit of a trial. And the Lord said to me on Wednesday night, see, you can dig that well. I said, do you really think I can, Lord? It's not easy. Look, this is simple. Very simple. As Sedley used to say, as Margaret and Keith know, he used to say, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. And it's right. Don't complicate it. Just hear the word and do it. <laughs> you know what the old Puritans used to say? When God gives you a word and a command to do it, the longer you leave it, the more difficult it becomes. Or in his words, the more expensive it becomes. And it's true. I prove that. Don't procrastinate when God says to you, start digging. Start digging. We're going to have to we're going to have to keep the lines, the flow of the Spirit and the lives clear. You're going to have to keep your heart with all diligence because it's going to interrupt with the line of communication and your fellowship with God the Father and you're going to think, God has turned his back on me. He's hiding. Yes, he'll hide from you deliberately because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Until you, in your foolishness, you say, Lord, I repent. I get on my knees, I 
Lord, I'm going to put myself right. I'm going to do what you told me to do. This is what Mary learned, didn't we? As we said before about Mary, the mother of Jesus. John 2, 5. You know, when they had no wine, no wine in the place. And, uh, and she said, whatever Jesus says to you do about this problem, whatever he says to you, just do it. And you know, faith doesn't always make sense, does it? Great big water pots with eight gallons. People wash their feet when they came in with their sandals. You know, the water for the household. Go and fill these water pots with water. Well, what on earth has that got to do with the lack of wine? What on earth has it got to do? But he did it. And then when they filled them, he said, pour it out. And when it came out, it came out as 40-pound bottles of wine. None of the cheap stuff. It was the best. Now, a friend of ours did a very good, uh, a very good turn to us, and he sa- I said, what can we do for you? He said, you can send me a case of wine. Oh, I said, right. And when I phoned up to see what this decent wine cost, I gulped. I thought, what? Is that what it costs? Because <laughs> I don't drink wine. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I thought you'd been very kind. He had his case of wine. <laughs> and he said to me, Ah, this is posh wine you bought. Where did you get this from? <laughs> There's such a thing as good wine and, you know, dodgy wine. Well, Jesus always gives the best. Amen. He, got, he wants the best for you today. But will you go home and do your spiritual service? Will I go home? Don't know, I'm talking to you. Will I, Gordon David, go home and do my digging? No wonder Paul said to the church, Work out your own salvation. Work it out, he said, with fear and trembling. You know, as Tony's always said to me, God is a God who's all-powerful. And every time we find that one of these men in the scripture found God, uh, they either fell flat on their face... (laughs) Or they were told to take off their shoes because this is holy ground. Isn't it? Something's got to happen in our mindset as believers that we're dealing with almighty issues, eternal issues, the weightiest thing in the world. It is the most important thing in the world. It is the best thing in the world. It's good news in the midst of all this trouble that God has got a new creation and a new heaven and a new earth and we're all going to be part of that and we better get ready now. As I said before, don't live in a shed. When you get there, you'll want a mansion. So you better start sending up some stuff now to glorify God because true faith always glorifies Jesus. Look at Saul. He built monument to himself. We see a lot of ministries with monuments. What is it all going to add up to? I don't know. I'm not the judge. Could it be wood, hay and stubble? I don't know. 
but I think of the men of God that influenced me, people like in Africa, like W.F.B. Burton, one, a brilliant man. He was a brilliant engineer, and God touched him through Wigglesworth, and he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he went to Africa, and he founded 2,000 churches, signs and miracles and wonders through his ministry. He had what was known as the Luzon Pentecost in the, in the early, late 50s, early 60s. The power of God. The man was on his face. He was doing his digging. And the Lord said to me, what about Burton then? He did his digging. When are you going to start? And he gave all his money to missions. When he died, he left a suitcase of clothes. But he's laid it up in glory. I can remember as nine-year-old telling Julius, sitting in this meeting, and his assistant with him, Teddy Hodgson, and I was nine years old looking at them, and they were sitting in the front of this packed hall. It was a bigger hall than this, and it was packed with all the people that come to hear him, and they could see the glory of God. I could see it over their faces. The glory. We need the glory. We need Passover. We need Pentecost. We need tabernacles. God is trying to get you and me to understand that you are the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. But can we realize it? When we wake up in the morning, do we realize that we are the temple? God doesn't dwell in temples now with hands. He dwells in us, his children. We are the lively stones. You are the lively stone. You see, and God wants you as a temple to function. There's praise, there's worship, there's adoration, there's presence, there's bread... There's wine in the presence, the table of the Lord. He wants to feed you in his table. Oh, Lord, help us. Help me, Lord. Help your people, Lord. We pray for your people. The revelation of the fullness of what Christ has accomplished will come on your people. That they will go home and they wake up in the morning and say, I'm a temple. I'm a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. God dwells in me. And I've got fire in this house. I've got bread in this house. I've got oil in this house. I've got wine. I've got everything I need because Christ is my source. He is my great high priest. I can come to him. I have access, as we've heard. And keep in union. And keep in communion. What is Romans 5 all about? Union. I was in Adam. I'm now in Christ. Through one man's disobedience, we've all sinned. But through one man's righteous obedience, we're all justified and made righteous. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus has given you the greatest gift that you can have. You better make sure you appreciate and me. Let us realize who we are. Let us understand that we are being made these temples of the Holy Ghost. If you're not sure what it means, read, read Hebrews 12. You know, Hebrews is a wonderful book. Just read Hebrews and read it and read it until it drops from your head to your heart and you begin to realize 
what Paul is saying. Paul wrote this. They don't think Paul. I, Paul. Nobody else could have written it. Paul wrote Hebrews. And this is it, isn't it? Wherefore, seeing we're accomplished about with so great, he says, a cloud of witnesses. Yeah, we've got all our forefathers. I got my grandmother, a real old Pentecostal brand of fire, you know, saying, you can make it. When I was going to the, the <laughs> in Shelton with my tennis and my bridge all night, <laughs> And swimming half the night and playing bridge all night and my tennis in the day and then off, off all over the place. I have a phone call one night. Where are you? I'm in Cheltenham. What are you doing there? Do you know God has got a way to arrest people that are on the run? <laughs> Prayer from faith arrests people. It arrests people. So don't give up on those children that don't believe because my grandmother and my mother prayed for me and I got arrested. <laughs> you can get arrested like Paul did on the Damascus Road. Hallelujah! <laughs> he thought he was on a mission. He was on a different mission very quick. <laughs> One way he was going, the next way he was going that way. <laughs> oh yeah. God has got ways and means. <laughs> Do you know, I, I'm so thankful the Lord hasn't given up on me. <laughs> He's been so merciful to me. So merciful. So merciful. He's so kind. He's so wonderful. Yeah, well, what does he... And, I sh and I sh I'll stop then because you've got to go to the street. Um, just read this in Hebrews 12. Looking unto and it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, he wants to not only start your faith working, he wants to develop it, he says. He's the finisher of our faith. Before him who endured the cross, despising the shame, sits down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sin, lest you be weird and faint in your minds. And he goes on to say, whom the Lord loveth, he gets the stick out on. <laughs> one minister said to me oh no that can't be right Paul's got that wrong no I said Paul's got it right she said if you be without chastisement you are what and not sons but this is, this, is, this is what it is this is what God is saying to us as his people but you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn that are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to who? Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And here it is, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. That's where we have come. If Jesus has done all this tremendous work and the veil has been rent and God has given you such tremendous access to the most powerful person in the whole universe, don't you and I think we should come each day 
we're going to have to come each day. You're going to have to get a mindset that it... You see, I've had a problem with this, self-centered Christianity. We all battle with it. But it's an enemy to your faith because you must be Christ-centered. You must understand it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. God knows what you want. God knows what you need. It's no good you just going to promise his book and I need this God and this is a promise and I take it and I fetch it and all this nonsense. No, 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 as we said in North Wales about Hannah. When Hannah got involved with the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, God just gave her, but she sowed that seed. And this is important, and I haven't got round to this and I meant to, is that we've got to understand that when Adam fell, God gave him a promise. I'm going to give you what? A seed. That seed is Christ. That's going to crush the serpent's head. And that's Jesus. And that's what Abraham believed. For 20 generations, from Noah to Noah was 10 generations, Noah to Abram was 20 generations, God eventually got a man who believed he could have a seed. But you got that seed because you're born of an incorruptible seed. You've got it in you. You've got to believe it. You've got to meditate on it. And you've got to think about it and look at Jesus and see how he accomplished this tremendous work of redemption and sits at the right hand of the Father, read Hebrews and you'll begin to see how you can keep yourself so that you can enter in, as Henry used to say, enter in, that's what he's on about, enter in to that which God has accomplished for you in Christ Jesus. Because if you can get in there with an audience to the king, with his righteousness... Do you, know that, do you know what the scepter is in scripture? Christ's righteousness. When Esther went before the king, she had to have the scepter. And then she was accepted. Well, we have the scepter of righteousness. Isn't it wonderful? And we can come to the king. And we can say, Jesus says, seek first. What? My kingdom. That's what Hannah did. That's what David did. That's what Abraham did. That's what Isaac did. How could Isaac, in that chapter about the wells, how could he sow in a famine and get a hundredfold? It's supernatural. Because he was blessed. You know, he built another well called Rehoboth, and God said to him, don't you stay in Rehoboth, you go up to Hebron where there's Beersheba. You better get back to the house of God. You don't stick your nose in the Philistines' camp. You block your wells, and all you'll have is hatred and strife. So you better get back to Father's house, Hebron. Well, we can, because we got the house, we got Mount Zion. We are, we, are, we are actually members of Mount Zion. Well, we used to go to Mount Zion in Norwich, but this is the heavenly Mount Zion. <laughs> Do you know you're a member of heavenly Mount Zion? Do you know that you've got access there? 
you know, sometimes when, I'm, when I have a good day and I get lost in the Lord, I just imagine myself and I just sort of drop off in the spirit and I imagine myself I'm in Mount Zion with this tremendous company of angels of just men made perfect <laughs> and I fellowshiping with him and you can get this witness in your spirit the witness in your spirit that you are a child of the king is it wonderful we praise you Lord this morning for your word we thank you for the revelation of your truth we pray Holy Spirit you'll help us to live this life in your presence Lord there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore you don't need Jesus and something else you need Jesus Jesus is the one you need he's all you need Jesus we thank you Father this morning we pray for your people we pray for us your company that we would keep looking unto you the author and the finish of our faith we praise you Lord for thy presence and thy anointing and it breaks every yoke. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Help us this day to serve you. As Luke said last night, will you become a servant in God's house? There's a big secret. There is a big secret. Will you wash the floor, paint the place, clean the toilets, do whatever's necessary? You're serving the king. And when you serve the king, he's a rewarder. He rewards you. <laughs> he blesses you. You don't know where it's all come from. I and I sit down and we think, where did it all come from? We do not, we cannot quite make it out. I mean, I'm not very bright, you know. I'm a bit dyslexic, they say. I'm not intelligent like Alan or, or David Crumpton down there and you know they've got all this ability and, and uh, Paul here and, <laughs> and a few and Andrew over there you know and all these. but you see God uses if you can make yourself available it's not how much you've got it's, it's what you, God you just give him what you've got <laughs> you know it's the principle of, of, the, of the boys lunch isn't it <laughs> A boy's lunch feeds 5,000 people. You can't work that out, can you? Where, where does that come from? <laughs> that comes from God. Can you serve God and give him what you've got? He'll bless you abundantly. When he bless you abundantly, he'll pour it in and it will just overflow. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? You j Some of you are on just on the journey or just believe you've got more and more and more to come and it's going to get better and better as you walk with Jesus isn't it? isn't it wonderful? hallelujah oh I tell you we're on our way to the glory land oh hallelujah you can make it you can make it in Jesus name Amen